Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Long and Winding Royal Road. This is episode number 10, and I'm your host, W.H. Park, and uh, this is our look back at the greatest era of professional wrestling, in my opinion, at least, uh, of, and that's All Japan Pro Wrestling of the 1990s. And uh, joining me today, special guest, first-time guest on this show, but not our first-time guest of, uh, of anyone I've talked to. I I've, I've, have talked to this person before. She is uh, uh, one of the busiest and most uh, prolific uh, podcasters, journalists in wrestling right now, and that is Stephanie Chase. Stephanie, how are you today? Hi, I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I'm pretty good. I appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule to join me and to, to talk about uh, 1990s era All Japan for Wrestling with me, her on LNWRR. <laughs> yeah, it's um, very odd to be talking to you not about a Jay White match. I think it's quite refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes it is it is quite refreshing maybe we'll, maybe we'll have less disagreements hopefully hopefully but even if we do have disagreements i i feel it will be a, still an interesting conversation and uh, you've been quite busy recently like i said in the intro there you you're doing a ton of content uh primarily i think reviewing for uh, aew yeah um i i'm still doing lots of interviews but um for digital spy and um i put them on my youtube as well but um a lot of my youtube content yeah it's about aew i do um weekly show talking about dynamite um i do dynamite previews every week sometimes i do pre-shows if it's a big dynamite um i'm not not long ago i did like a whole week of content celebrating revolution so yeah i'm deep 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 in the in the aew stuff and just yeah, becoming someone that knows everything about AEW and spends their days analyzing it and, and you know, treating it like um, a, a a wonderful, um, I don't know, in-depth TV show, which, you know, I think it is. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, you know, following your Twitter, I get the impression mm-hmm. like that maybe like, you know, 2021, um, you know, AEW maybe like to you, what like 1990s All Japan is to me. Yeah, yeah, it could very well be. I I think that we are definitely um, living through a quite a brilliant and historic era of wrestling that that we'll look back on, you know, very very fondly. This this early years of AEW, um, yeah, it's it's great. It's great to like watch something so new and young from the beginning and seeing where it's going and just you know being in there at the start. It's it's really exciting. It just makes me feel like a kid again. So I, just before we get into our, the topic at hand, which is all Japan for wrestling, I, I do want to kind of kind of ask you a quick question because I do feel like you're probably one of the the preeminent experts on on AW. Is that like I, I I'm not a follower of it. It's for a variety of reasons. But my my question is for you. No, just like you know, an objective question is that you know, like there's all this talk about like they're going to add more content, more, more hours of, of broadcast television to the product. And I just think for a company that's so young and like on fire so much, do you, do you think that's a good idea or do you think maybe they're you know, maybe going to f- running, running before they can learn to walk, so to speak? Well, it's interesting because, you know, they have, they have dark and people's um, criticism of dark is the length of, of dark, but that's just on YouTube. 
Um, and it's certainly not appointment viewing, um, even for AW fans. Um, and then they added Elevation uh, also on YouTube. And it's it's not really appointment viewing yet, but it feels like they're weaving some more stuff into it that goes into, into Dynamite. But adding another show on, on TNT, like which will happen this year, um, I think it can be good if it, um, hopefully it will just be a one hour show. Um, I'd maybe liken it to maybe the originally what like Thunder was like before it kind of went off the rails. Um, just like a good side, like main TV show. But I think that I think, you know, what they're looking for, obviously, is to to break into that mainstream and have everyone know what AEW is, you know, people that don't watch wrestling. Um, and I'm not sure if another wrestling show will help that. I think that the show they just announced with Cody and Brandy, the reality show, is a really good shot at getting, you know, non-wrestling fans or people that have drifted off from wrestling to to tune in and, and see what it's about. And some of the other stuff they're doing, like bringing in Shaq as well. But yeah, I think that as long as they don't do something crazy, which I don't think they will and make like 12 pay-per-views a year or something like that. I don't think it matters how much kind of actual TV they have. Cause I think it's well, well built because they do run so few pay-per-views a year, which I think is the best idea because if you look at like WWE you know we just had Fastlane for no reason at all um and so as long as they never get into that pattern I think they'll be okay yeah well I you know I'm I'm just kind of a curious bystander about AD I will say this Mm -hmm. like a a Cody Rhodes and a Brandy Rhodes reality tv show I'm definitely not watching that (laughs) well I maybe you know maybe it's not for you but um you know in the sense of if you think well maybe we'll we'll get into this show but you know total bellas and total divas what they what total divas certainly initially did for wwe uh i think you know cody and brandy they they could definitely bring in some different viewers you know this this idea of this couple of winning like expecting their first child and running this business it's it, it's it's an intriguing premise for one of those reality shows. Fair enough, fair enough. But uh, <laughs> the topic at hand, uh, we're going to talk about uh, all Japan pro wrestling from the 1990 era, and specifically, we're going to talk about the year 1995. And you know, I when I reached out to you, Steph, I, I asked you, "Are you familiar with this era?" And, and you came back with, "No." <laughs> I said, that's fine, which is something like I kind of want to do with this with this podcast is like kind of not just talk to people who are familiar with the era and and love it already, but like talk to people who maybe are going to experience it for the first time. Our, you know, our episode one featured, you know, Scrump from the uh, uh, PWT cast and he he was not familiar with it. And I thought it was really good. It was really great getting a fresh perspective. And so that's why I, you know, kind of wanted to get you on the show. It's like get a fresh perspective on this, uh, this style of wrestling. And to that end, I, I decided I, I'd pick a match with someone you would probably be familiar with, not for, for his wrestling, but for his, his being a personality on not only WWF, WWE television, but also on the aforementioned reality shows. Uh, probably on Total Bellas. I don't know if he's ever been on Total Divas, but that would be John Laurinaitis, a.k.a. at this point in 1995, he's famously known as Johnny Ace, and he will be taking on in our match that we will discuss one legendary K-1 
Kenta Kobashi, uh, the mentor of one of, I believe, your favorite New Japan wrestlers, Kenta. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did not know much at all about this, uh, but I did know Johnny is from t- Total Balance. <laughs> and I really want to know if uh, Mama Bella Kathy has seen this match. Is that That's my first question. You want to know if she's seen the hair in this match? Is that what you really mean, right? <laughs> yeah i I was shocked at his appearance uh he looks like a mix between very early steve austin and a stretch armstrong doll um it was quite jarring i can see i can see the comparison uh i don't know if you're seeing him during his his mullet days with uh, shane douglas and dynamic dudes but this is after that so he has grown his hair out so the mullet is pretty much gone it's kind of like uh he's kind of a thicker uh Barry Windham so to speak in my opinion yeah he with but with less like toner on the hair um it's it's a pretty bold yellow (laughs) I I will take your opinion on that uh because I do not use toner in my hair so I don't know if you do. I'm not, is Johnny is. Well, I, I'm not casting aspersions on you, like if that's a bad thing or a good thing using toner in your hair. But yeah, I mean, it's it's just blonde, I suppose. It's is it what you call a a dirty blonde, Johnny Ace here. I would call it a a brassy blonde um, because it's got like too much yellow in it. Which you know, sometimes if I run out of toner shampoo, I converge on a bit of yellow, but. His his is very, you know, canary yellow, <laughs> I thought. But yeah, I, I just I like I feel like I've I know this man as a, a man who wears a suit and looks very corporate and serious. So just to see him as this blonde man in black trunks was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> that was Johnny Ace. <laughs> that was Johnny Ace. And uh, what about Kenta Kawashi? Um, he looked fine. He looked nondescript, but he looked so um, what I'd imagine someone from that era to look like. Fair enough. He like, looked, yeah, he looked like an all Japan wrestler from the early to mid nineties. Definitely, he's kind of prototypical of uh, of Japanese wrestling, I think, of the era. But uh, let, let's, you know, this might be one of the few times we uh, I get to discuss Johnny Ace on this show. So I thought it'd be a nice little way to kind of do a, a very, very brief kind of biography of Johnny Ace in, in all Japan specifically. And so I'm just going to run a bit of background on him. So uh, of course he is, his real name is John Laurinaitis and he's actually the famous, uh, the brother of the more famous road warrior animal, AKA Joe Laurinaitis. And uh, you know, I think he got into wrestling via uh, the connection uh, Joe had obviously as being part of the road warriors. Uh, he starts his career in the mid Atlantic NWA region as primarily as a jobber, uh, losing a lot to people. Uh, he goes on his fourth tour for all Japan for wrestling in the late summer of 1988 as a tag team partner of one Z man, uh, Tom Zink and, I, Tom Zink actually has like a bit of a connection to a lot of people in all Japan at this time. He, he kind of like took uh, Toshiaki Kawada under his wing when Toshiaki Kawada did a, a, a excursion over in America. And I, I and like his former tag team partner, Rick Martel had done a lot of wrestling for giant Baba in all Japan as well. So it's kind of like, I think Zink, 
probably had that kind of connection to Baba to bring in other people uh, into the company. Um, from there, uh, Johnny Ace would start teaming with Danny Spivey, and they would enter the 1988 Real World Tag League. Uh, after that, he then starts teaming with a man called the Terminator, real name Mark Laurinaitis, who actually turns out to be his brother. And uh, they they team in both America and in Japan. And then in 1989, uh, you'll love this part, Steph. He starts. He is paired with one Shane Douglas, and they form the skateboarding duo of the Dynamic Dudes. And for some inexplicable reason, this team is also brought over for a tour of all Japan for wrestling. Well, not inexplicable. Obviously, Johnny Ace has the connection. But I, I can only imagine when, when he gets off the plane and shows up at uh, Corican Hall with, and, him and him and Douglas have their skateboards and surfer looks that Giant Bob is like going, huh, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, I am familiar with um, his look during his, his team with Sheehan Douglas and I, uh, this this look here is a welcome departure from that, at least. So you you would take like uh, you know long haired blonde Johnny Ace over mullet haired uh, Johnny Ace with the skateboard. Um, I I would. I mean, I wouldn't want to take either, but if I had to, I'm not a fan of mullets. So yeah. <laughs> what if Jay White suddenly got a mullet? He thought, you know what? A mullet is cool. Would, would, your, would your love for Jay White lessen any? Oh, yeah, a lot. Um, I would think that was a really dumb decision. Uh, I know he he previously had a, a bit of a mohawk going on um, at the beginning of his career. Uh, but a mullet would be too far. That would be too far. I mean, the, the beard is getting out of hand enough. But if he wanted to add a mullet to that, No. No. <laughs> well, I, I am happy to hear that your love for the men uh, does have certain limits to it. So that is that is refreshing to, to hear. <laughs> it has many limits. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad to hear that. In, uh, in fact, Johnny Ace in 1990, uh, the writing for Johnny Ace in, in WCW is is clearly as a jobber. Uh, so he, you know, wisely, he shifts his allegiance to Giant Baba uh, as he knows that he will get a push in all Japan and he starts wrestling in Japan exclusively. Uh, it's been said that, you know, part of the reason Ace was getting pushes from Giant Baba was because uh, Johnny Ace was the favorite foreign wrestler of Giant Baba's wife, Mrs. Baba. And uh, he was always going to have a good position in the company because of that. So there is something to be said about nepotism in professional wrestling, Stephanie. Wow. Um, Mrs. Baba has weird taste um, (laughs) for sure. Um, And also that's kind of funny. Um, I could, it just makes me think, you know, he ends up, you know, marrying the Bella's mom. And I know that she's like, probably the same age as him or younger, but it just makes me feel like maybe Johnny is, is just for the moms. He could be for the moms though. The Mrs. Baba never had kids of her own. Like uh, maybe she adopted mm-hmm. Johnny Ace. Maybe she thought, I, I want this long haired blonde American. Who's pretty tall to be my, my, my surrogate son. That's really sweet, but it just makes me think of all the foreign wrestlers coming into Japan at this time, just, I don't know, adopting Johnny is just, just seems weird. <laughs> uh, well, let's see what her other choices would have been. Danny Spivey. No. Uh, Dr. Dusty Williams. No. Stan Hansen. Definitely not. Uh, <laughs> the uh, a giant Kimala too. Mm, probably wouldn't work out there. Uh, Gary Albright. No, I think to be honest, I think Johnny Ace is, 
probably the best choice for her for you know adopting a foreign wrestler who was working for her husband at the time. I guess when you when you put out, out the lineup there, if you had to pick someone from the lineup, I, I guess Johnny is seems the most yeah, the 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 easy choice really in the end. Maybe the most stable choice in, in the long run too as Probably. well. Yes. Um, from there, uh, Johnny Ace starts teaming with a variety of different partners, uh, including uh, someone who would become kind of a generational peer of sorts for him in, in one Kenta Kabashi, his opponent in the match that we'll talk about today. Uh, they would remain a team. Uh, they Sorry, they would team in the uh, 1990 Real World Tag League and Ace would compete in his first uh, Champion Carnival Tournament in 1991. Uh, Ace and Kobashi would win their first of two All-Asia Tag Team Championships in a tournament final over the Fantastics on September 7th, 1990 in Fukui. It's after uh, they would also defeat the Can-Am Express of Doug Furness and uh, Dan Crawford for their second reign as All-Asia Champions on July 8th, 1991. It's after this last reign that Ace and Kobashi go their separate ways for several years and are usually on opposite sides of the ring, having a kind of parallel paths up the roster. So I, I feel like Kenna Kobashi, you know, his rise up the, the ranks of the, uh, of the Japanese native wrestlers is kind of similar to what like Ace was going through on the foreign side of the roster. You know, like I think he was kind of being rude to be one of those people that would hopefully take over the position that Stan Hansen had occupied for so many years because, you know, Hansen was getting older. Also he, his body was showing the signs of like, working the all Japan style for a minimum of, of 10 years. And so like, they were thinking people like, you know, Steve Williams, Danny Spivey or Johnny Ace would be like, okay, let's, we got to groom these people. And so we have to give these guys a push as well. So it's really interesting watching um, the kind of the, the parallels you can draw with Kobashi and Ace. And, and we'll talk about those during the course of the match review itself. Um Kobashi and, and Ace would later reform a ta- uh, like uh, their tag team, but they also would include Del Wilkes, the Patriot in this group, and the and they would create a faction, Stephanie, of the the super creative name of Global Energetic Tough GET. Wow, <laughs> he he does not get great team names, does he? <laughs> Global Energetic Tough. It's, it's I feel like Energetic's a weird way, a weird word to put in there like looking at Kabashi not saying he's not energetic but I, I I just can't imagine him getting pumped up with that word I I don't know who came up with this I would imagine it was Giant Papa and they and they thought and he thought you know what yeah, the, the Patriot Del Wilkes what do I think he's a Patriot he's probably quite energetic about being an American so let that maybe that's it maybe maybe Johnny Ace is the global part Kobashi's the tough part and Del Wilkes, the Patriot is the energetic tough is the energetic part because really? he's so super gung ho about being an American. True. Uh, I, the Patriot is definitely not the global. part. <laughs> it makes it even funnier to have a tag team with global in the name and you've got the Patriot there. That's, that's where, that's where Johnny Ace comes from. He's the global part of, of the team, you know, so <laughs> he's the, he's the global element, not, not a uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. America. Del Wilkes, the Patriot here. Anyways, uh, actually, so the, t- the team of Ace and Kobashi would uh, have a lot of success after they reformed. They would become um, the world tag team champions of all Japan twice. Uh, Ace would also win the uh, Wrestling Observer Match of the Year 
from Dave Meltzer's Wrestling Observer Newsletter with partner Steve Williams uh, in a match against Mitsuhara Misawa and Jun Akiyama that took place on June 7th, 1996. And from there, he would just stay in all Japan as a mid-card, upper-mid-card guy until the NOAA split in 2000, at which time uh, he took off back to America and he became an agent for WCW. And I remember, this is like, you know, the dying days of WCW, but I remember hearing a story from Jeff Merrick where he got a call, I believe, from his friend, Lance Storm, who was saying, like, yeah, like, Johnny Ace is, like, a like got a brilliant mind for finishes. And that's what time of WCW, like, where a lot of the, 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 the booking was, like, really terrible. But some of the matches were, like, really good because the finishes and how they were laid out were, were really strong, and they were reminiscent of kind of a more Japanese feel. And that's you know, been accredited to Johnny Ace working in the WCW office at that time, Steph. Mm-hmm. That's that's um, that's interesting. Like that that period in WCW right at the end. Um, I've gone back and watched some stuff, but that that like I had switched over by that point. And it seems like, especially with someone like Lance Storm, there was a lot of good stuff going on that was just buried in there that sadly no one was watching or or really taking seriously anymore. So and then eventually, of course, WCW would 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 be bought out by the you know the Vince, Vince McMahon and his family and the the WWF WWE and then he eventually got hired uh, at you know by uh, by the WWF and and he eventually became the head of talent relations, taking over the position from you know the longtime incumbent in that position, one Jim Ross. And I don't know, like, what do you, what do you think about his time as head of talent relations? It, it gets a lot of flack from people. Um, primarily a lot of people who were talents in the company because they they didn't feel he was as good at the job as Jim Ross was. Um, yeah, Jim Ross is like a really hard act to follow in that role. Um, and so I do feel sorry for him there. And Jim Ross, you know, was was doing this during a better a better period. Um, but like as a guy, he seems um seems just like really affable or something like that I can't imagine you know many people I just can't imagine him like causing many problems but then I can't imagine him being like super um like super great to talk to either (laughs) so it was like it was a hard role for for him to be in though especially taking over from Ross but he lasted like a pretty long time there well, I mean, I think one of the big criticisms for for Johnny Ace was that you know, like, whereas Jim Ross might have had like the you know the re- you know, the Wrestling Observer, Sports Illustrated as like kind of resources for him to try to recruit people. Apparently, like uh, or allegedly, the uh, you know the, the the subscriptions that Johnny Ace had for recruiting new talent were like Maxim and, and FHM at the time. So, yeah, and uh, and catalogs. You know, it's funny because to to know his career and to know that he did this all this stuff in all japan um it it just makes you feel like he'd he'd be different in that role you know he'd be more looking for the non-catalog people like the the serious wrestlers or people like you know risk takers and stuff like that um so it's funny that when he was handed like a corporate job he just, he really took it and really immersed himself, you know, in that role. And, and obviously from, from that, that would launch uh, 
his uh, his real claim to flame, Steph, and that would be coming the the stepfather of the the Bella Twins, and and even more importantly for me, the stepfather in law of one Daniel Bryan. No, it's the the Bella Twins. Um, they're just great at the people they've brought into their family. You know, at one point you had Total Bellas with Daniel Bryan, John Cena, and John Laurinaitis. So it's just great the people they bring in been able to bring together like especially just even the fact of Brie being married to Daniel Bryan and then getting Daniel Bryan on a reality show it's pretty crazy when you think about it but then he's he's there alongside John Cena you know if you're watching as a as a fan and you're a real kind of um you know indie indie lover like serious wrestler lover you would have all these almost fantasies in your head about I bet Daniel Bryan doesn't speak to John Cena and then you see them like hanging out in Total Divas together and then you've got John Laurinaitis just just there as well but I've always thought he he comes across really well on Total Divas and Total Bellas and I just would love I'd love to know the actual story of you know him getting together with Kathy like if he I don't know if he told like the Bella twins hey uh, uh, I really I really like your mom um she's single you know like it's just funny that their mom ends up marrying him yeah i mean that's a great impression by the way of johnny ace uh it's, it's very uh, spot on i feel um yeah i would i maybe we need to get the you know total ace on uh on uh the e channel like and them recounting i'm sure there's tons of like cam footage or, or smartphone footage of them meeting and, and going on dates and stuff early on in the career. I'm sure a lot of it exists on the Bella's phone, you know, phones as it were, but, yeah. but, but yeah, that's, that's Johnny Ace. That's his kind of like short career bio that we're going to get here on a long and winding Royal road, but let's talk about the match stuff. I, so I, I p- ended up picking up this match. Um, it's from May 26, 1995. It's Kenda Kobashi versus Johnny Ace. And I'm going to tell people something I'm going to confess this is my first time watching this match because I personally have never really gone out of my way to watch every Johnny Ace match out out there in the ether for, for all Japan for wrestling. So I thought I'm going to go to a cage match and I'm going to pick the highest rated singles match between these two. And I thought maybe it was going to be a possible triple crown, the title defense from Kobashi against him. Maybe it was something that happened during the champions carnival, but no, it's this random match that takes place at the Nakajima Sports Center in Sapporo, in the prefecture of Hokkaido, and and it's uh, it's a yeah, it's an interesting match to to talk about. I feel um, so. Let, let's start off, Steph. Let, so you know, first off, we see that Kobashi's left leg is heavily bandaged, and to me, that's like you know, that's like a metaphorical Chekhov's gun. At some point, this thing's gonna come into effect, into play, and it's gonna factor into the match. Yeah, it's so, so heavily bandaged and it stands out so much as well. And I like that he had, you know, when he first entered the ring, he's got his ring jacket on. It's like orange and his orange tights, but the jacket has white sleeves and then he's got this big white bandage. So like props to him for totally color coordinating, even an injury. I I, I have to agree with you. He could have gone with the tan, you know, bandages. But he went with the the white ones to to offset his his trademark orange and and complement the trim on his ring jacket. Which, by the way, Kenakabashi had excellent taste in in ring jackets, and it's something I'm sure I will talk about when I do the eventual biography show 
on one Orange Crush Kenta Kobashi. Uh, the match starts off with a series of collar and elbow lockups. And, you know, both men give clean breaks to you. They're showing that they still have, a, you know, respect for one another. Um, from there, Ace hits a series of shoulder blocks that hardly phase Kobashi. You know, like he just hits them. It's one of my favorite spots in wrestling is like, where none, neither guy does like a series of shoulder blocks, but they don't budge. Uh, there's a boot to the face. Doesn't knock him down. But finally, Ace knocks down Kobashi with this really nice looking back elbow, you know, that I'm just like thinking, wow, that's, that's a, you know, Johnny Ace has this kind of reputation, but he is actually a pretty decent wrestler, but he, he caps it off. He, he puts the cherry on the, on, on top there. Uh, uh, Stephanie, he says, come on, motherfucker. Out effect and, and that come on motherfucker just fires up this crowd. This this crowd's like now all like, yeah, come on, motherfucker, along in unison with Johnny Ace here. Yeah, I, I the last thing I expected was to hear Johnny Ace say motherfucker. <laughs> really? Lately, I feel like that's maybe the only time he said it in his life. But yeah, that definitely gets that that crowd going and they do not let up for the next 30 minutes. I mean, I, I think it's like he, he's very judicious about his use of, uh, you know, of swearing in English in, in, mm-hmm. in Japan. So unlike some people in New Japan for wrestling currently, like he doesn't like, you know, <laughs> you know, spam it all the time, so to speak. Anyways, anyone in particular? <laughs> there's a lot. I'm not going to single anyone out. There's quite a few. There's quite a few who, who like like to say fuck a lot in in uh in, in new Japan for wrestling in, in the last, you know, two years or so. So I am not, I'm not picking on anyone that you love. Don't worry. I'm just saying as, <laughs> as, as a general rule here, anyways, Kobashi fires back with some chops and hits his jumping shoulder tackle that uh, knocks ace down. Kobashi tries for a full Nelson or a dragon suplex. I can't, I can't figure out which one he's going for, but he can't lock his fingers. Ace switches position, snapmares Kobashi over and then stiffs him with this fucking kick to the back, to Kobashi's back that really just pisses him off. He then, you know, like Kobashi in retaliation, he gets up, he slaps Ace really hard in the face, does his own snapmare, and then he just stiff kicks him to the back. And now Ace is pissed. And the fans, they're even more fired up, Steph. I thought this was a great exchange. Yeah, I, I really like this bit. Um, <laughs> there's... It, it's interesting to to know the history between these two because at some points you can't tell whether they're both like yeah just laid in as hard as possible or whether sometimes they're literally like want to actually hurt each other but it definitely has a very very authentic feel um a, a lot of these but especially that bit there's more back and forth in between Kobashi and Ace in this match. And and I, I gotta give props to the to the crowd here in Sapporo. They're so into this match. And it's not mm-hmm. even the main event or anything. You know, it's just uh I feel kind of like a random match that these two are having. And and I think the crowd just adds to a really positive atmosphere for this show. And it's it's really nice, you know, going back and seeing when crowds were able to make noise and, and seeing such a hot crowd for this match, especially in the, the time we're living in with, you know, the, with, you know, the quote unquote clap crowds. Yeah, it is. The, the crowd here are not even just, you know, in comparison to what we have to, today with the clap crowds, but they're just so, so, so into this, um, from the beginning and like we'll get to other spots later where they react so strongly and there's a lot of random women screaming for Kabashi at some points as well and it just made me feel like watching this match 
like I felt like I should be more into it, you know, even with with knowing things. It was one of those matches where uh, it's good, but I think you had to be there, like not just live, but in the time to really get why people are like reacting so strongly to to these two. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, I, there's something to be said about like, oh, I wish I was there. I, I feel like I get, mm-hmm. I can, I, I, because, because like I've watched so many matches from this era via videotape and the streaming and DVD that, you know, like I, I feel like I am there sometimes because like I, I have such a fondness for, for the era and for these wrestlers. But I, I, I know what you're saying, but like I, I really feel like the energy from the crowd is like can, can, so for me, like seeps through from the screen into like mm-hmm. into where I'm watching it in, in like my computer room or whatever. Um, from there, both men continue exchanging strikes with one another, chops and headbutts from both until Ace takes Kobashi over with a suplex and then locks in this rear chin lock. Uh, Kobashi escapes with a side suplex that sends Johnny Ace to the floor. Kobashi follows him out there and then just batters Johnny Ace around the ring, including hitting this really nasty looking leg drop across Ace's back as he's draped over the ring barrier, you got to keep in mind that I think Kobashi's like probably like 250, 260 pounds. And all that weight's just coming down across like while John Ace is kind of like, you know, his, his neck and his chest are like on the cross the metal guard railing like that. That's got to suck. I, I don't know. Like, you know, like these guys take a lot of like dangerous moves, but things like that just probably just are probably just painful, not necessarily dangerous, but just painful to take. Yeah, it a lot of the this stuff looks painful that um Kabashi does. Like he's he is a big guy that like lays it in hard, but especially that, yeah. But I think you know Johnny is a big guy too, so he could probably take it. But it's funny nowadays, like the the guys that like really you know lay it in hard, like your Ishii and Suzuki are kind of smaller in statue than these are just look really like two big hard giant hard giants you know really giving it to each other i mean if you want to if you want to see a nice comparison i i do suggest trying to find the uh the kenakabashi minoru suzuki match in in pro wrestling noah that they have against each other i think you need the uh I, I think suzuki's a lot bigger than a lot of people actually imagine like he's not he's not kenakabashi size but he's not a small dude either in my opinion I, and i've seen him like in person many many times including like being near the merch desk and all japan at a new japan show um back to the match kobashi continues getting the heat on johnny ace including uh putting him in the abdominal stretch uh the action spills back to the outside again where kobashi is about to deliver a suplex to the hard floor but ace you know he saves himself with a ddt but then kobashi you know, recovers and is still able to hit Ace with the side suplex on the uh, the thin matted floor. And I gotta say that it probably sucks to be Johnny Ace right now because those mats are not thick. It'd be like getting like side suplex onto a concrete floor with like a rug underneath or a rug above it. You know what I mean? Yeah, those mats were not thick at all. They were so thin. It must have sucked for both of them just landing on that. Um, while Kobashi has been uh, pretty much dominating Johnny Ace in this match and, and beating him pretty badly for the most part. There are points where, where Ace gets to fire back. He gets his host spots. And then, uh, you know, Ace finally, this is where the checkoff's gun comes into place. 
You know, Steph, he hits that bandage leg with a drop kick that sends Kobashi crashing to the mat in pain. And I'm like, that's for me, this is where the match just takes it up another to another gear. You know what I mean? Yeah, this this bit was um the first kind of really exciting bit of the match because is he just like he really just you know winds up and fires up like a little like Jerusalem bunny going at him, but then it's it, it's it's like he has such a, a like a light bulb moment that we can all see. It's like he finally realizes, oh, the leg, that's what I have to do because he he's had some spots, but he's really like he's not gonna outslap Kabashi. Um, so just like that moment that he has where he realizes, yeah, the leg. That's what I have to go for. And it's as if the crowd as well are like, oh, no, he realized the leg. Like the, he he finally saw the heavily bandaged leg. Well, I, I kind of feel their they their reaction is of like one of shock and even a bit yeah. of anger at that he did this. Mm-hmm. Because I, I do think there is something to be said about like sportsmanship in in, in Japanese wrestling that, you know, you, you see a lot it's it's played out a little bit more than you have in, in other styles of wrestling in other countries. So like that he would go after this injured body part is kind of like mm, dishonorable, I suppose, not really sportsmanlike. Yeah. But at the same time, I, to me, it's like, well, it's wrestling. Hey, you know, it's like you just put a big target on your leg there. It'd be foolish not to go for it. But I, I do think the idea is that Ace, you know, didn't want to have to go to, you know, attacking the leg. Like he wanted to try to beat Kobashi as kind of on equal footing, uh, no pun intended. And then, you know, he's like, fuck it. I can't, I can't beat him. So I'm going to go after that leg. So, and then he does. And, and from this point, like he's just, he's just his game plan, attack that leg. Two more drop kicks to the leg for good measure. Ace smells blood in the water. He's now in control of this match. There's a pin attempt after a top, uh, you know, top back elbow uh, from the top rope, which only yields a two count. Uh, from there, like just, Johnny Ace just goes you know, goes all like super aggro on the leg, and this this really I love this part because the crowd just fucking boos him, and I'm just like he didn't he didn't use a chair step, he didn't hit anyone in the nuts. There's no fucking midget manager out there like you know getting heat on on himself instead of on the match. This is just like good old school like I'm an asshole and I'm gonna get heat that way instead of being a dick dickhead uh, you know rule breaker. Yeah, he he's really getting good heat here with, as you said, like not having to do anything illegal or really dodgy. But I mean, that's as well. Kabashi is obviously such a seems like such a loved baby face to the crowd. So it's kind of a good um, mix of a baby face at the crowd, like a tough baby face that the crowd have sympathy for as well. And this big foreigner as well he'll just doing the doing the dirty trick of going after his uh injured leg um ace continues to go uh for pin attempts and and then there's another kick out from kabashi and this leads to johnny ace putting the stretch muffler on ken kabashi and i i feel like you know he's not really going for a submission necessarily he's not really a submission wrestler but instead i think what he wants to do because all his you know the some any anything he does is is really focused on leg i think what he wants to do is try to weaken kobashi's leg to the point that kobashi can't kick out kick out anymore of any more pin attempts and i i think this is just a really sound strategy and it really goes to show like maybe this is the mind 
of the guy who would you know later join WCW as a, as an agent and, and and was the guy being lauded for like wow this guy really knows how to put together a match and put together like some good psychology that where things make sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like the psychology of of going after the leg, but not in a submission way and making sure you can't kick out, especially with someone that seems as tough as as Kabashi. Um, yeah, it's it's a re- very sound strategy. And if this was Johnny Ace's idea, then yeah, I I can see why he he has um he has a reputation of having a mind for these good good finishes. Uh, however, you know, for, for on Kobashi's uh, and the continual assault, assault on his leg only serves to piss him off until finally he retires with some chops and it's a, hits a big lariat to take Johnny Ace down. Uh, Kobashi tries for a sleeper hold, but Ace hits a jawbreaker, but Kobashi again gets pissed off. And I'm certain, I, I swear to God, Steph, I think he legit chops him in the fucking ear. Yeah, I thought so too. That that looked sore and i think yeah he he genuinely just whacked him across the ear there now i i have never checked i wonder if johnny ace has cauliflower ears i'm sure he does maybe, i'm sure he does <laughs> well next next time there he's on uh i think he's on wf television and or raw again i'm not gonna watch it but you know maybe next time uh you know uh, way reviews that uh, total bellas i'll ask him hey just Check if he's got cauliflower ears. Maybe Kobashi gave him cauliflower ears. Who knows? Um, <laughs> with these chops to the ears. Anyways, Kobashi uh, continues his, uh, you know, kind of rallying against Ace. He hits a leg drop on Ace. Again, while, you know, like, while his throat lies across the middle rope. So he's kind of, like, weakening the the neck and chest area with these kinds of, like, you know, leg drop moves while, he, you know, Johnny Ace is, like, draped across something. I think the the... The idea is he wants to finish him off with one of his lariats, uh, which is like one of his big finishers. Um, at one point, this is really great. Johnny Ace teases suplexing Kobashi over the top rope onto the floor. Thankfully, he doesn't succeed, but he does hit the Ace Crusher over the top rope. Yeah, the, the move he invented in All Japan for us, and that would inspire many other moves, Stephanie, including the Diamond Cutter, the Stone Cold Stunner, the RKO, uh, among so many other moves in wrestling. Johnny Ace was the 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 pioneer of this type of move yeah that moment was um was was wild like how the crowd reacted to it um it was it just crazy like how much they were invested in that and then him doing it over um you know doing it uh, over the rope like that and yeah <laughs> oh I, I mean it's it's amazing like you know, considering where we are in, you know, 2021 with wrestling and kind of like the, the kinds of spots we do end up seeing like that something as simple as a suplex over the top rope onto the floor, which, you know, would be super dangerous in of itself, but it, it seems kind of almost pedestrian compared to some of the other things you will, you will regularly see on weekly television sometimes. Uh, but that this, think, this um, just garners like the, just- the reaction. Yeah, and I was just gonna say, like, it's it's it, him, you know, doing that, and it and it, you know, being leading to like diamond cutters and um, stunner. And I just remembered, like, listening to Orton on Austin's um, show the other day, saying that it was Laurinaitis that like told him to do the RKO, and he's a he's more more maybe more influential than people give him credit for. Oh, definitely, I I think. You know, like maybe for for Orton, it was like, oh, you're going to give me like 
the the permission to use a variation of your move. I, I mean, the stunner and and the and the diamond cutter, the RKO, are variations of the Ace Crusher. It's not exactly the Ace Crusher, but that's like that's the origin point of a lot of these moves for sure. Um, from here, you know, Johnny Ace hits a missile dropkick, which I was really impressed with. That this man is pretty agile for for a guy his size. Me too. When he pulled that out of the bag, I, I was like, whoa, okay. I, I did not expect that that coming from, from Johnny. It's just, be, just because of his size um, and the way he moved, like I, I didn't expect him to execute that. I think the, the hair added some aerodynamics to, to the move. <laughs> yes. Uh, he, gets, he goes for a cover. One, two, Kobashi kicks out and the crowd starts chanting, Kobashi, Kobashi, Kobashi. They're, they're super into this match. Uh, every time Kobashi kicks out of Ace's pin attempts, the crowd just starts stopping their feet, which is like one of my favorite sounds in wrestling. Not like chants or anything like that, but just that people just stopping their feet. And I, and I have had the pleasure of doing that in Cork and Hall uh, myself. And it's just, 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 it's like, it's a really good sign that the crowd is like, even more into a match than they normally would be because like they've gone, I feel stopping your feet is that extra step. Yeah, definitely. The feet stomp noise is so much better than some of like the random chanting that you can get. The feet stomp noise, it not only like shows enthusiasm, but it's, it's like building anticipation as well. And it just fits in very well with the match. It provides a very good soundtrack to it. Um, from here, Ace blocks a German suplex attempt and then hits another Ace Crusher on Kobashi. He then slams Kobashi and signals for the moonsault step. And this is, you know, this is Kobashi's own finisher, like that he would only bust out at for like, you know, his toughest opponents like Misawa and Kawada and the such. And, and, and this is feels just like, you know, Ace is going to go for this move, Kobashi's own move. He's basically spitting in Kobashi's face and he hits it. He gets it. He gets to hit it clean on Kobashi. There's a one and a two, and Kobashi kicks out. And the crowd, they're going crazy at this point. This this has turned into really a well built out, you know, methodical match in the beginning. It got more dramatic in the middle, and now we're in the crescendo of the match, Steph. And and my God, these guys are just pulling everything out, and this crowd is just totally into it. Yeah, as much as I didn't expect the drop kick, I did not expect the moonsault. From Johnny is he looked, um, he looked gigantic <laughs> flying through the air like that. Like very, very well done. Props to him. But yeah, he he couldn't have done more to to rile up this crowd. Like it it gets so intense as we go into that final stretch. And I think him then pulling out Kabashi's own move just really really added to it. Um, and just made the crowd hit him a little bit more. Um, from here, Ace hits a kind of, I, I guess, kind of like you know, Billy Gunn's famous move. It kind of it has mm-hmm. the same kind of mechanics. And then uh, he goes for a pin, but Kobashi kicks out at two. Kobashi, uh, Ace goes for the, the Dr. Baum power bomb, but Kobashi shifts his weight midway through and lands on top of Johnny Ace for a two count of his own. Uh, Kobashi blocks a kick to the face. He slaps Ace and then hits a spinning chop the back of Ace's head and then hits a tiger suplex on Ace. And again, sucks to be Johnny Ace in this match because my God, that sequence, like the chop to the head. I don't know if that's worse than get hit with the tiger suplex. I think the chop to the head is worse. Yeah. The chop to the head looked like it would be worse for sure. Uh, Kobashi tries for his own moonsault press, but you know, Ace, uh, fortunately for him, catches him on the middle rope and delivers yet another drop kick to the bad leg. 
Very smart man, this Johnny Ace. The crowd is booing this. This truly has some great heel work without, like like I said, does, there's no cheat tactics in this. It's just like super aggression and like unsportsmanlike behavior, but without cheating, I feel. Yeah, it's it's not cheating. That's probably what the frustrating thing is for the crowd that wants so badly for, for Kabashi to win because they're thinking like he's doing this terrible unsportsmanlike thing but it's not against the rules so there's there's nothing that can be done they just have to watch their hero take this punishment on his poor bandaged up leg so kobashi hits a big folding powerbomb on ace but you know ace is able to escape he then hits another powerbomb but uh he can't pin him and it's at this point the stuff that the announcer announces that there's one minute left in the match. And I think that call really, you know, first of all, they're, they're having a great match. And the, this, this part of the match is just like so dramatic with like all these near falls, but like now the, the crowd's like, Oh my God, there's a minute left. What's going to happen. I think just adds even more drama and more heat to what's happening in the building. Yeah, absolutely. Even I was um getting on the edge of my seat there when they called like one minute, one minute left, and yeah, this this crowd like if you thought thought they were hot before now, even more so. Just knowing like this, the time is running out here for Kobashi. Uh, there's 30 seconds left. Kobashi is able to hit another moonsault, and he connects with Ace, but. The impact of that moonsault landing on the mat hurts Kobashi's injured leg enough that it delays him from covering Ace for a second. But that second is enough for Ace to recover, enough to kick out a two. And then right after that step, the bell rings, and we have gotten to a 30-minute time limit draw. Um, and I just thought that finish for, for a 30-minute draw, that finish was absolutely brilliant because everything that happened before played into um like they're not being a winner for this match yeah that was it was such an excellent finish um because you know johnny is had been working working on this leg the whole match and then in the end it's not the the injured injuring his leg that gets him the win but it prevents kabashi from getting the win so his plan kind of 90% 90% worked because he didn't get the win himself, but it was a very, very clever finish. And I, I did not expect it to go to a draw and, and a draw is not something that you see much nowadays, but yeah, I didn't, you know, I didn't expect it to end like that. And when it ended, it was so just sudden as well that, yeah, it, it was one of those matches where I think once you see the end, then you you realize how good it it all was, you know, as a complete story. I, I think one one of the things that I take away from this match, and if you're you know able to look you know in hindsight at the, the careers both guys had, especially with Johnny Ace and All Japan, is like I think this match was like one of the those things that was designed for the you know for the company to position ace as his equal as kobashi's equal you know obviously it's it's very clear that kobashi is going to become one of the big stars of the company um you know a couple years down the line and like i think the idea is that you know johnny ace is going to be his rival and on you know as far as a foreign wrestler goes and maybe johnny ace is being groomed to be the next stan hansen of the company um that obviously 
never happens. Like Johnny Ace never wins a triple crown. Johnny Ace never becomes a, a, a main eventer in the company. He's always been more of a tag team wrestler and kind of, but he's, he's had a, he had a nice solid career doing the, you know, working the upper mid card of the company and kind of being like, kind of like go to, uh, you know, Gaijin wrestler in, in all Japan at the time next to Stan Hansen. So I, you know, I, I, I can't imagine he had, he'd have too much to complain about in regards to his career in all Japan for wrestling at that time. No, it doesn't sound like it. Like it, it sounds like he did very well for himself. Um, you know, not everyone could be the top guy, but he, he did very well for himself um, before becoming the, the John Laurinaitis that we all know and love now. That's right. I mean, I, I, I wonder if like, you know, noted, uh, you know, uh, all Japan nineties, Mark CM Punk thinks back like thanks i'm i'm feuding on television with johnny ace one one of the top <laughs> guys of, of of all japan for wrestling of a of, of, of an era of japanese wrestling that i love i wonder if you ever thought that when they were like doing the uh the program on television between the two i i doubt it i don't think he i think I oh go ahead i was gonna say i think he probably i think he probably thought like johnny is you fucking sell out like you were this, you know, wrestler in, in all Japan. You're getting in there with Kiboshi and now you're a, a fucking stooge who's picking out, you know, models to, to bring to WWE, whatever Vince McMahon wants. He probably just thought like, man, you were, you know, because going going to to Japan, I think at any time, though, uh, as a gaijin wrestler, it is kind of a bit like it's a bit of a risk, like, you know, edgy, edgier thing to do with your career. It makes you seem a bit more serious um, as a wrestler. You know, someone like more serious about your craft. But then it's just funny that he came. He came back to the states and suited up and and became John Laurinaitis. So yeah, I think CM Punk probably had like a genuine feeling of of like you suck, man, <laughs> towards him. I would think that maybe he appreciated him more as a wrestler than he did as a executive in the company that he worked yeah. for. But you know, I don't know. Like I, I'd imagine Johnny Ace, if he, anyone said you're a sellout for doing this, he probably like, I didn't sell out. Hey, I bought in, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just always the, the best line to come up with like the, the accusations of, of like uh, being a sellout, especially in wrestling. I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't feel there's anything wrong with quote unquote selling out. I, I, I think it more of is be buy, buying in like a, hey, you got yeah. a limited shelf life for your career. Get as much money as you can and try to be happy about it. But like, if you're not happy, but you end up mm-hmm. having a lot of money, that's up to you for your career. You know, like you would hope, you know, wrestler, especially when you like has both a career that they like and, and get a lot of money doing that career. But sometimes it doesn't happen stuff, but that's, you know, that's, that's the way wrestling goes. I feel. I think there's like, I, I have no problem with, with, with the selling out, um, but there's like the actual, you know, act of, of like selling out or, or whatever, you know, that you can do, like taking the, taking the, the Stanford job. And then there is like men- mentally selling out. I think that CM Punk who, you know, sold out himself in a way would be more mad at like Johnny, his maybe idea that Johnny like mentally sell- sold out and is now like n- no longer that all Japan guy. He is the the talent the talent scout of um, <laughs> Max Maximum Maxim Magazine you know. FHM yeah the the, the magazine yeah. subscriber yeah. there you go but uh, yeah. overall like your thoughts on on this match uh, Steph 
Well, I thought I would have shaved a couple of minutes off it. But then when I got to the end, I thought, no, you can't shave a couple of minutes off it because it's a it's a time limit draw. So that wasn't going to happen. But overall, I thought the match once I think the crowd certainly added to it so much and watching it, it made you feel for me that didn't know anything going into it. Like I I wish I knew their full story more before watching it, because obviously if if you did, you would be more invested because the crowd was so invested. But I thought the, once I got through the full match the first time, and saw the finish, it it did make me appreciate the match as a whole um, and as a story a lot more. So watching it then the second time, um, I I liked it a lot more because then there was a lot more, you know, stuff to to look out for, I, I felt, with, you know, Johnny working on the leg and um and, and Kabashi him trying to take his take the neck and then the the moonstalt and everything. So all in all, I'd say it was a really good match. Um and Johnny is pleasantly surprised me uh, as not only a worker, but as an absolute heat magnet of a man. Definitely in this match. Um, maybe like, uh, do you feel like you would like, if you have the free time, I know you're very, very busy, but like, you know, <laughs> randomly just, you know, Oh, I'm bored. What am I going to, I want to watch something. Oh, I'm going to watch something from all Japan in the 1990s on YouTube. Which is that something that you feel like could possibly happen if you have some free time? It could possibly happen right now. I'm doing that with um, uh, war, wrestling and, and romance matches, you know, trying to watch as many of them as I can. Um, with all, I think with All Japan, I'd, I'd need someone to draw me in. And unfortunately, it's not going to be Johnny Ace. And I don't think it's going to be Kabashi either. So mm. maybe if you sent me like um, a, like a picture book of the roster... I'll, I'll, uh, uh, I could, so, I could see. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe a young, uh, young John Jun Akiyama. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Masawa. Like, I, unfortunately, there there are no men that look like Jay White in the company uh, at that time. Uh, but you, you don't like. I, I mean, you like other types of wrestlers. Like, you like Ishii a lot. You know, you like Minoru Suzuki. So. No, I was I was gonna actually actually say like the um I no I do not need someone that that looks like Jay White <laughs> uh, uh, like at all in life, um, but to watch wrestling, no. But I mean, I need like there are people like uh, uh, Minoru Suzuki that has a charisma about about them that draws you in that. You know, I didn't feel from from Johnnyus or or Kabashi. I think you would probably get into Kabashi a lot more with like some of his like more famous matches against like the, the you know guys like Masawa and Kawada. I definitely think you would probably like Toshiaki Kawada a lot because I think he has like an amazing subtle charisma to to his style mm-hmm. of wrestling. So uh, maybe I will send you some links to some classic Kobashi, and may- maybe I'll send you a match of, of Kobashi versus Kawada and and you'll get back to me uh in in the DMs about what you think about that. But but I, I'm glad that mm-hmm. you 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 ended up liking this match. I I pleasantly surprised that I I liked this match as much as I did. I always thought that okay, 
my first time watching it, I, I will probably like it because Ken Kobashi is one of my favorites of all time. And, and I think Johnny Ace is very underrated as a foreign wrestler in all Japan at that time. But I, I was surprised at how much I ended up liking it because I just thought the, the looking back after the finish has, has happened, like, wow, everything made sense. And like you, my second viewing of the match, when I was taking notes for it, I thought, okay, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. This is mm-hmm. just really well laid out logical pro wrestling, which is something I'm always looking for. So like I, uh, my highest recommendation to people go watch this is kind of a hidden gem for me to recommend to people out there. And, and Steph, thank you so much again, for taking the time out to not only watch this match, but to, to come on the show with me. I know you are super busy and I appreciate it. I always enjoy talking with you and, and I try to look for excuses to, to talk about you. Maybe the next time we'll talk about more modern wrestling, but, uh, but if people uh, want to find more of your work, where can people find you? Oh, they can find me um, at, on Twitter at Stephanie M. Chies, um, and on YouTube at Stephanie Chies Wrestling. I'm very close to my 1,000 subscribers goal that I'll celebrate with a live party. So you know, every, every little helps on that front. <laughs> Go subscribe to her YouTube channel. There's a lot of great content. I, I say this not as someone who is having you on the show, but like someone who like, you know, we'll go to your YouTube channel, like, oh, who who did she talk to this week? Oh, wow, that's great. That's you have like a wide range of different guests from different companies and different parts of professional wrestling on the show. So I I do recommend people who like watching interviews with wrestlers check it out. Steph's a really great interviewer as well. And uh, you can find me at WH Park Nine. You can find most of my work over at postwrestling.com. And and I'm sure Steph, you know, maybe. I'm, I'm thinking there's another project we can do later this year, uh, you, you know, kind of hearkening back to something we did before. People can guess me what that is, but I'll, I'll talk about it with you at, at a future time when it gets closer to that. So anyways, thank you so much, Steph. Thank you all listeners for, for supporting this show and, and uh, enjoying the, the, the look back at uh, one of my favorite periods of professional wrestling. And uh, until the next show, until the next time, I will say goodbye. Goodbye.